We're going to continue today in this message series we've been in for several weeks called Life Starts Now. We're in the Gospel of Mark. We're nearing the end. Uh, we will um, wrap up at Easter this year on, on uh, April 12th, which is Easter Sunday. I invite you to begin now. There's um, invitation cards, and I'm not sure if they made it in the program today, but uh, well, you'll have them again next week. Invitation cards that you can be even now thinking about, who do I want to invite to church? And you look around and say, well, if all of us brought somebody, there isn't room. And I would agree with that. So we'll have a service at 9 and a service at 1030 on Easter Sunday, as well as a sunrise service, Good Friday service. Uh, and on fact, on the Monday preceding that, we have a group coming in, a guest coming in from Jews for Jesus, and they're going to lead us in a seminar on Christ in the Passover. How is Jesus revealed in the Passover? And so that'll happen uh, here on Monday, April 6th. But even today, I want you to start praying about, maybe write it down and say, I would like to invite this person, this family, this couple, this individual, these friends, this group, uh, these coworkers to Easter service and... Uh, Let's see, let's see what will happen and let God speak to them through that um, Easter Sunday the 12th. Alright, so today we are in a really, really challenging chapter. As Mark has gone along, long, it's kind of gotten to some increasingly challenging sections and including today chapter 13. And I would like to read the entire chapter to you or have you follow along with me and... Um, but it's just so important, I think, if you're able, I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Mark chapter 13. Remember, Jesus has been in Jerusalem. It's the last week of his life. He's cleared out the temple. He's been teaching. He's confronted the religious leaders. The religious leaders have heaped questions on him. And they've kind of gone this back and forth. It's reached the point where they want to do away with him. And yet Jesus keeps pressing in. So verse of our chapter 13, verse 1 says, As Jesus was leaving the temple that day, one of his disciples said, Teacher, look at these magnificent buildings. Look at the impressive stones in the walls. Jesus replied, Yes, look at these great buildings, but they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. And later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives across the valley from the temple. Peter, James, John, Andrew came to him privately and asked him, tell us, when will this happen? What sign will you show us or what sign will show us these things are about to be fulfilled? And Jesus replied, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation, kingdoms against kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in many parts of the world as well as famines, but this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. And when these things begin to happen, watch out. You will be handed over to the local councils and beaten in the synagogues. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. For the good news must first be preached to all nations. But when you are arrested and stand trial, don't worry in advance about what to say. Just say what God tells you at that time. For it is not you who will be speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. A brother will betray his brother to death. Verse 12. A father will betray his own child and children will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed. And everyone will hate you because you are my followers. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. The day is coming when you will see the sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing where he should not be. Reader, pay attention. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. 
Verse 15, a person out on the deck of the roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days. And pray that your flight will not be in winter, for there will be greater anguish in those days than at any time since God created the world. And it will never be so great again. And in fact, unless the Lord shortens that time of calamity, not a single person will survive. But for the sake of his chosen ones, he has shortened those days. Verse 21, if anyone tells you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. Watch out. I've warned you about this ahead of time. At that time, after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Verse 26, then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with great power and glory, and he will send out his angels to gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. Now, learn a lesson from the fig tree, Jesus says. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see these things taking place, you can know that his return is very near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene before all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. However, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. And since you don't know when that time will come, be on guard, stay alert. The coming of the Son of Man can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. And when he left home, he gave each of his slaves instructions about the work they were to do. And he told the gatekeeper to watch for his return. You too must keep watch, for you don't know when the master of the household will return. In the evening, at midnight, before dawn, or at daybreak. Don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives without warning. I say to you what I say to everyone. Watch for him. Amen. Let's be seated together. Jesus begins, verse 1, in this interaction with his disciples. And they, they're leaving the temple and they, they look around and say, wow, look at all these amazing things. They lived at a time when King Herod, who the one who died, uh, you know, shortly after Jesus' birth, had constructed just incredible things throughout the nation. Built up, you know, a massive port called Caesarea uh, Maritima. What, what you read in the New Testament just called Caesarea. Caesarea Philippi up north had been, had been built, um, as well as a kind of a, to just impress Rome. Everywhere Herod went, he built stuff. We've talked about the Temple Mount that he, he did in Jerusalem. He built those massive retaining walls. I'll show you a picture in a second. And backfilled it and kind of embellished the temple. And if you go to Israel today on, on a, on a trip, in fact, if you're interested in going, we've got a kind of interest meeting Next Monday, the, the 9th, I'm going to kind of tell you about it, uh, for the fall of 2021. If you go to Israel, you're going to, everywhere you go, you're going to hear about Herod, Herod, Herod. He just built and built and built. Impressive, 
impressive structures everywhere he went. And so these disciples, they're looking at this. So, for example, let's look at this one. If you go today, uh, you've heard of what's, what we now would call the Western Wall, but in early times it was sometimes called the Wailing Wall, where you see uh, Jewish people going to pray, and you could go there and pray as well. If you go down below that, it's that wall is not the wall of the temple. That's the wall of the Temple Mount. That's basically a massive retaining wall, and the temple was built on top of that. And if you go to that retaining wall, uh, they've tunneled underneath, and it's called the Western Wall Tunnels. And this is one of the, kind of the biggest stone they found. It's Herodian. It was put there by Herod. It's in his, his construction style. This stone is 45 feet long. So think of one of those ex- extra length semi, uh, semi truck trailers. And, uh, 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 about 10, roughly, you know, 10 feet tall and roughly 12 feet wide or something like that. They think about 517 tons estimated. That's like one and a half fully loaded Boeing 747s. Massive, massive stone. How did it get there? You know, they can only, you know, speculate how that was moved into place. And it's precision cut in every few. You can't fit a slip of paper between the stones. It's just built with such excellence. And they're looking around and saying, man, this place is awesome. Like, this place is never going down. Like, this place is going to last forever. And Jesus says, don't be so quick. Don't be so quick. Or... um that's verse 1. Then verse 3, you know, they, they kind of leave that and then they, they cut across the, the Kidron Valley and I've got another picture here. And, and um, you know, verse verse 3, you know, Jesus says, um, you know, as they're on the Mount of Olives, uh, they come, they, they, the, the boys come and say, Jesus, when's all this going to happen? Like, can you give us a sign? And so just imagine this. They're now looking down on that Temple Mount from this vantage point. They're on the Mount of Olives and they're looking down and they're asking, like, Jesus, seriously, like, look at that temple, which is not there now, where you see the, the Dome of the Rock. It's, that's probably where the temple was. And they're like, Jesus, huh? surely that stuff's not going to come tumbling down. Like, it's permanent, Jesus. It's permanent. So they're just, you're, you right now, the same vantage point that those disciples had when Jesus is teaching them. Think about that for a moment. You get to sit right, right now you're with me. We're sitting right there. We're looking at, the, we're looking through the same vantage point that they were. And then from there, Jesus teaches them about the end times. This passage of scripture is what we would call eschatology. That's a a $20 word that just means the study of the times of the end. The end times study. And this is not meant to frighten you or scare you, but it is meant to catch your attention, to alert you to what will happen and how to be ready for the end of times. When you read eschatology and when you read prophecy, there is this sort of double thing happening. Some of it's, honestly, some of it's already taken place. Part of this chapter addresses uh, the destruction of Jerusalem in the year 70. And part of it addresses things to come. So we don't, we can't even always know which is past and which is future. And sometimes it's both. And, and so we read with this kind of openness, this open sense of some of it's happened, some of it will happen, some may be happening right now. And we just sort of have to live with that fluidity in eschatology. I do believe that we are in the end times, the end of times, and we have been ever since Jesus was raised to life and ascended to heaven. So the more time passes, obviously, the, the more imminent becomes the return of Jesus Christ. Now, I was raised in, a, in an era, in a, in a culture in the 70s and the 80s, in a family and kind of a church culture where we were, we were made very aware of the end of times. And so things like, uh, 
you know, was kind of discouraged even to go to even go to college and get a degree and that because well Jesus is going to return and it, it might be tonight if not surely by the end of this week. I mean there was this, that sense of like it's happening so soon, you know, just just make you know let people know about Jesus. Don't waste your time on things that that, that you're, you're not going to need this twenty years because you're not going to be here twenty years from now. That was kind of the sense. I mean I don't know if any of you remember what 1980 was like and then the big financial collapse of 81 in there. You think this does feel like the end times. The 21 percent mortgages and you just think man I, nobody's going to survive. And but you know somehow God has continued to be faithful to us through all those ups and downs. But others then kind of picked up. Their theology from what others are writing. A guy like Hal Lindsey, Late Great Planet Earth, or all the, then later it was all the Left Behind series with Tim LaHaye. And you think, well, I know what's going to happen in the end because I, I read a novel about it. <laughs> and I want to tell you, those are novels. Those are speculations. Those are interpretations. Let's go back to what Jesus says and go back to the word. The main takeaway from this passage is the word that happens, comes up a couple times, and that is the word watch. Watch, be ready. Right? Verses 26 and 27, uh, Jesus says, Everyone will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with great power and glory, and he will send out his angels to gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. It's going to happen. But here's the thing about watching. It's surprisingly passive. You know, if you're watching, right, can you think of a time you watched for something or something? Maybe you invited somebody to your house and it was their first time they'd never been to your place before and they got the address or they Googled it or whatever and, and you know they're supposed to be there about six o'clock, but you're thinking, I hope they can find it. And, well, it's, it's ten past six and gee, I wonder if they're okay. And so, so you, you go out to the driveway, right? And you're watching and maybe they call and say, hey, we're close or hey, we got a little turned around or, you know, we entered Clovis instead of Fresno. So we're way up in, you know, like wrong part of the city, whatever. You can't speed. That happens a lot when people try to come to our house. Um, you know, you, you can't, you can't, it, they enter Clovis instead of Fresno. That's what it is. You, you can't speed them up, right? You're waiting. You're watching for them. You're, you're waiting. Um, there, you, you can't, you can't do anything but just watch. Last um, September, my son Alex and I went to the big air show in Lemur, which is pretty amazing. How, so few of you were there as well. And, uh, you know, they do this thing. I'm going to show you one of my favorite pictures. My son took that picture. Um, just, I mean, you can see their I mean, just incredible, right? These blue angels. Isn't that great Anabaptist church showing warplanes? But anyway, <laughs> they, they weren't armed, so you're okay. Um, and there's this one part of the show where you're, and they're announcing, and you're going to be watching, these planes are coming, you're like watching, watching, oh, this is so great, where are they, I can't see them, you're watching, can't see them, and all of a sudden, they just come up from behind you, right over your head, like, ah! right, it just kind of takes you by surprise, right, you were watching in the wrong place. Got one more here, I've got to show you this one, this is actually my favorite one, these guys flying side by side, one upside down, one, I mean... It's pretty cool. You gotta admit, it's pretty cool. Anyway. Alright, move on, because I don't want to be thinking about that too much. <laughs> but what happens if you're watching the wrong thing? Or you're watching the wrong way? Or you're keeping your eyes on things that aren't important? So Jesus is inviting us to watch and watch the right things. And in the right ways. And so in spite of the sort of passive nature of watching, I, I, there's at least four things in this passage that, that are meant to help us Watch for Jesus' return. Four things to know so we can watch for Jesus' return. And the first thing is this. you got to know your faith. 
You got to know your faith. Verses five and six, uh, Jesus says, don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and they will deceive many. Knowing your faith means you've tuned into an actual relationship, a friendship with Jesus. It means you've learned to listen to and recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you as a believer in Jesus. It's it's not just knowing what you believe. This is really crucial. It's not just knowing what you believe. It's knowing why you believe it. Well, I believe this and this and this. How many people get to the, well, why? Uh, 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 uh. Well, just because. Because I always have. I always have. Because that's what my parents said. That's, well, that's what my friends do. It's because what they teach at my church. You need to know what and you need to know why. It's like the difference between, you know, when I met my wife the first time and I had this keen sense of, I think I like her. I think I'd like to get to know her. And this beginning dating, it's just sort of all this warm, fuzzy stuff. And, you know, it's just like, oh, this is just great. Well, do you like her? Yeah. Why? I don't know. She's just unlike anybody I've met before. Well, I should hope so, right? But now, married 28 years, you ask me why? I could give you lots of reasons why. Developed a relationship over time. See, Jesus warned that we would be deceived by false voices. Why? Why does that happen? Because they don't recognize the real voice of the shepherd. It's almost, feels almost contradictory to say you need to know your faith, which sounds like all head knowledge, all academic, and then also to say recognize his voice, which is a heart matter, right? But you can do both. It's it's head and it's heart. It's kind of the sense of knowing and this kind of feeling. If I said, for example, let's use a couple examples. If I said to you, or someone said to you, all religions lead to God. Would you know whether or not to believe that? Would you know why that's not true? Based on the words of Jesus. Or if you're in a conversation at work or you're at school and someone says, well, Muslims pray the same God that we do. Would you be able to articulate why that's not the case? See, faith is both head and it's heart. And you can learn the academics of what you believe, but but you have to add experience, intimacy with Jesus. And it's why things like personal Prayer and, and Bible reflection are so crucial in your life. Because it's, it's helping you lay it in here and apply it in here. Head and heart. This is why I really want you to go beyond, add to, go beyond simply a Bible class to a place where you're going to encounter Jesus. Maybe in a small group community or in a, some other cluster setting. It's, it's corporate and it's personal. It's, it's group and it's individual. It's, it's dropping your guard in your quiet moments with Jesus and inviting him to reveal to you more and more of himself. And if you're going to be a person who 
watches, like we're talking about, watches for Jesus and watch, watching and ready for his return, you need to know your, your faith. False teachers will come. Know your faith. Second thing, you need to know your stance. Know your stance. What do I mean by stance? It's about, it's about knowing where and when you're going to stand up to the culture and to the voices around you. Knowing where to, where to, you know, put your foot down on things that are, are crucial and important. Look at again at verses 12 and 13. Um, it says, uh, a brother will betray brother to death. Father will betray his own child. Children will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed. And everyone will hate you because you're my followers. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. You know, the promise is that some really, really difficult times will come. We've got brothers and sisters around the world who live, this is their daily reality. This is their daily reality. People today are losing their lives, losing their families, losing their homes and businesses, simply for claiming the name of Christ, saying, yes, I believe in Jesus. And their blood is being spilled for it. You may even be betrayed by those closest to you. Why is it that Jesus says, everyone will hate you because you're my followers? Well, it's because you're not agreeing with, you're not going along with and supporting everything the culture demands of you. And so if you're going to follow Jesus, there are times that that you're going to have to take a stance on something that's not popular. And that may be a costly choice. You're going to need to know where to draw that you know, that so-called line in the sand. Say, I, I go this far, no further. Those of you who are with me at the, at the um, Fresno Prayer Breakfast this, this week, we heard Alistair Begg kind of challenging us on exactly this, this kind of thing. When someone demands, for example, that you, that you not speak about Jesus, what are you going to do? We're teachers. Lots of you, I've got lots of teachers in the room, right? When you're told to teach something that's untrue, what are you going to do? For medical professionals, when you're kind of told to participate in a procedure that, that ends life instead of saving it, what will you do? Employees, when your boss or your workplace demands something unethical or illegal of you, what will you do? What line will you draw? How far will you go? What, what point of compromise are you willing to say, no, I will not do that? What price will you pay? Because if your faith is real, listen friends, if your faith is real, it has to be real every day. It's not a Sunday thing. It's not a Wednesday night thing. It's an everyday thing. And there will be decisions you make or times to speak up that will be unpopular. And of course, Please don't be a jerk about it. Right? Please don't be. Please don't be belligerent about it. You're always going to speak kindly. You're always going to be an agent of reconciliation and compassion and forgiveness and understanding and, and going the extra mile and being a servant, all that stuff. But you've got to know your stance. The third thing to be ready for Jesus' return is, is, this, is to know your future. To know your future. This is so totally awesome. Right? Verses... Let me take you to verses 26 and 27. Verse 26 is, Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with great power and glory. And he will send out his angels to gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends 
of the earth. The Son of Man, that's Jesus, coming on the clouds, coming. The same way He ascended, the same way He returns. You do not need to be an expert in eschatology, right? To know that this is our glorious hope. To be gathered up by King Jesus once and for all. This is not, I hope something works out in the end. Gee, I, boy, I got my fingers crossed. Right? This is everyone who has put their faith in Jesus will be recognized by him and caught up with him for eternity. Think about this. Those who have trusted Christ for salvation and not themselves have this glorious future of anticipation when Jesus says, we're done, let's go. I've prepared a place for you, Jesus says. He's preparing a place for you. Right now, for everyone who believes, Jesus is preparing a place. Do you think he does that with excellence? Beauty? Creativity? Splendor, rest, delight, excellence, extravagance, abundance. You ready to go yet? Thank you. And if you've ever had one of those days, or maybe it's been one of those weeks or one of those months, right? Say at work and you just think, I just, I just want to go home. I just want to get in the car and go home, right? Then you have a little taste, a teeny taste of this. By the way, this is an aside. It's not part, of the, not part of the program. It's a freebie. Husbands, wives, this is why it's so essential that you really work at doing your part to make your home a place each other likes to come home to. So whatever your... However you've divided your household duties around fixing stuff and washing dishes and making meals and doing laundry and do your part so that your partner loves to come home. I mean it. It's a, it's a little teeny taste of heaven. Just say, oh, it's so good to go home. Can we do that? Can we just do our part in that? Okay. No elbows in the ribs right now. Unless it's your own ribs, say, oh, yeah, fix that broken lock on the bathroom door or fold that laundry, whatever it is, okay? But the day is coming when we will, in fact, go home. Home. Thank you, Jesus. Home. And if you want to ponder this some more and read how some of this could happen, if you're taking notes today, you can just jot down First Thessalonians 4 and 5. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5, or second, sorry, 2 Corinthians 5, Matthew 24, Revelation. Ponder through those things. So, know your faith, know your stance, know your future. And lastly, know your season. Know the season. Uh, Jesus promised that everyone will see his return. Everyone. Now, I don't know how everyone around the world at all time will see everything See it all to say. I, I don't know. I can't explain that. Is it miraculous? Probably. Is it on our smartphones? Maybe. I don't know. We're all going to see it. The point is that it will happen. We will experience it. 
We just don't know the exact day of Jesus' return. And that's why we're told to watch. We don't get the day, but we do get the season. Now, I hope you've been enjoying this early arrival of uh, of spring, seeing it, smelling it. It's beautiful. Who doesn't love the explosion of blossoms across our valley? It's stunning. The green is coming. It just feels fresh and alive. It's a little early. And if you're in, in the world of ag, you're a little concerned. As you heard me praying, um, we're short on rain. We're short on snowpack. Um, so add rain to your prayer list, please. But but here's the thing. You don't watch for for blossoms in November. You don't watch for bees out pollinating in December because it's not the season for that. But as the season turns, guess what? You start watching for those things, don't you? You Start being aware of those things. You're alerted to those things. And Jesus said, verse 29, In the same way, when you see these things taking place, you can know that his return is very near right at the door. What are these things that he's talking about? Natural disasters, wars, calamities, persecution, false prophets, False teachers, apostasy, betrayal, all those things, these are things to watch for. In other words, it'll get worse before it gets better. It'll get worse before it gets better. The world of young evangelicals uh, has been somewhat rocked in the last couple of weeks because there's a couple of YouTube uh, entertainers, guys by the name of Rhett McLaughlin and, and Link Neal. Any Rhett and Link Good Mythical Morning followers? There's only 16 million of them in the world. I, I follow them. Highly entertaining, super great, very cool guys. Um, interesting, funny, creative. Great big following, YouTube, Facebook, etc. Um, and, and while they have not necessarily been open about their sort of Christian life, uh, you know, publicly, it's been pretty obvious that they've come out of a faith background. And um, so with all these millions and millions of followers, their daily um, uh, their daily YouTube broadcast and their, their daily podcast or their weekly podcast, uh, they both have deconstructed their faith. They've both come out and said, we no longer believe. And uh, they've done it in incredibly articulate ways. They're very bright. They grew up in Christian homes, uh, great Christian education. They uh, were staff, both staff with Campus Crusade for Christ. They were on church staffs and uh, over time became uncomfortable with some of the conflict between their worldview and the world around them and unhooked their life from their, from their faith. And I think what happened to them is they lost touch with a personal relationship with Jesus. And they're taking possibly thousands with them. People who are on the edge, who are on the fence, who are living in some measure of doubt and uncertainty. And they say, ah, you know, Rabbi Zacharias, he doesn't, you know, doesn't really know, you know. It's not really good arguments. And now the person who's maybe seeking is not going to go check that out for themselves. You know what I mean? Like, that's an example of the kind of very thing that Jesus is talking about. 
people with influence, people who are interesting and entertaining and educated, who are going to say, yeah, I don't think that's true. And people will say, well, if he says it's not true, I guess it's not true. It's a sign of the end times. It's a simple one. It's a small one. We are in the season of Jesus' return. Jesus may come back in the year 2020. He may come back in March. He may come back this week. Or it might be 50 years from now. Or maybe 150 years from now. Or more or less. This season, as I said, began when Jesus ascended to heaven. We don't know the hour, but we are in the season. And so that's why we watch. That's why we watch. The question is always, am I watching? Am I ready? Am I preparing myself? And how does it happen? How do I even be ready to begin with for the return of Jesus? It begins with the simple Starting choice to abandon my efforts at self-salvation. What we call self-righteousness. Or the, I think I'm good enough to get into heaven mindset. We have to abandon that to start with. And then we trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. To say, I believe you, Jesus, that you alone can take this thing inside of me that knows I'm not fully reconciled to God. I'm not in alignment with God. But Jesus, you can do that. I could never be good enough. This might come as a surprise. I'm not perfect. And uh, I could never be good enough for God because he is perfect. And everything is judged against the standard of his perfection. So if you're off by one little bit, you're not perfect. And Jesus offers, get this, Jesus offers his perfect righteousness to substitute for our unrighteousness. Right? It's this glorious exchange. When I believe Jesus, when I say, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. You are the one who came, the one who was promised. You refer to yourself as the Son of Man, the promised one. I believe that you came, that you died for my sin, that you rose again to make me right with God. And if I'm, if I'm going to do that, if I'm going to say, Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God, you died for my sin, you rose again, that you came to give me life, then it logically follows that I would put my trust in you and follow you on my days. So are you ready? Are you watching? Are you alert to what's happening, the sign of the times, the season that we're in? Do you, do you know your faith? Do you know your stance? Do you know your future with Him? And do you know the season that we're in? I, I want to be ready for the return of Jesus. I do. And I want you to be as well. And if you've never come to this point, I'm going to invite you to just pray a simple prayer with me. I'm not forcing anybody. I'm not manipulating anybody. It's just something along the lines of Jesus. I recognize that I can't save myself. And I need to have my sins forgiven. Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God, that you died for my sin, you rose again. And I 
choose to trust in you and I now commit my life to you so I will follow you. And if you want to pray that with me in sincerity, that's what it means to convert, to leave your own way and to become a follower of Christ. Why don't we stand together and I would like to leave that in you. If you want to pray that along with me in your own way, you can do that. And Please don't leave without telling me or somebody. Worship team, why don't you guys come on on up. It's just because I want you to be ready. I don't want you to miss. And if the Holy Spirit is not doing, stirring something in you, then please, this is not the time and place to feel manipulated into something. But if you, that stirring is happening, then you need to respond. Don't miss the opportunity. Let's bow our heads together. You could pray something like this with me. Dear Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. And I need you to save me. I believe you're the son of God. That you died for my sin. That you rose again. And one day you will return. I choose to leave my own way. And follow your way. I invite you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. To give me the power to live for you. Thank you for your great love. Thank you that you love me. And that you have saved me now. Amen. Amen. If you pray that with somebody today, would you please, please tell them. Or pray that on your own. Please tell somebody today. Tell me or somebody else. We're going to sing this great song about blessed assurance. If you've never sung this song before, you might wonder about the grammar. The word blessed has two syllables. It's just a simple way of, of singing a song. Many of you, this is really, really precious. Just sing this with all your heart. Sing blessed assurance.